In this podcast, Rob and I will discuss the pilot shortage, pilot pay scales, pilotless airplanes, and other topics that do not start with the letter P. Let's begin. Is it possible for a new pilot in the airlines to make over $100,000 a year? Believe it or not, Tim, it's a mind-blowing fact, but yes, it is. And why is that? Well, there's something called a pilot shortage, something we've heard about for a long, long time, but it's definitely here now. Side note on that, back when I was learning to fly um, in the mid-90s, and uh, I had my ratings and stuff probably around 2000, the year 2000, but just after that, I was instructing. Even back then, they were talking about the oncoming pilot shortage, and you heard it all the time that it just became meaningless. This is just something that colleges told students. There's going to be a pilot shortage. Pays are gonna, salaries are going to go like crazy. There's going to be jobs galore. And it never happened, ever. And not until probably four or five years ago, probably about four years ago, it hit. And then COVID came and just made it disappear. And now it's back with a vengeance. So it actually well, did actually it actually did come, but it just took a lot longer than expected. Which is amazing, Tim, because if you think about it, not long ago you'd see news channels talking about pilots living in literal squalor and trailers at the end of runways because they're not making enough money during their first or second year as becoming a pilot. So what can a brand new pilot like just commercial multi-IFR pilot coming out of the chute make in the United States for their first job? Well, it depends on the regional airline that they go to, but a good average without sign-on bonuses would probably be sixty dollars to $80,000, but a lot of them have sign-on bonuses. And with those bonuses, that a first officer can make upwards of one hundred and fifty dollars to $160,000 the first year. But that being said, the second year, that bonus won't be there. They might only get $80,000 a year. But some airlines have retention bonuses. You know, like for the longest time, pilots were in the U.S. at $25,000 a year to start. Or less. Or less. And like literally living in squalor, um, you know, not to mention things like you know, um, crash pads and that kind of thing. No, those those will lo- likely always exist because of the, the demand for, you know, where pilots need to stay overnight kind of thing. But strictly, the thing you need to remember, and you know this very, very well, Tim, is that pilots have to spend a lot of money to get into this profession. And then if they come in and they're being paid, you know, a very small amount, let's say, you know, twenty five to 50000 a few years ago, they're barely making it. They're not, they're not, they're not eating well. They're, you know, obviously not living well. And something changed radically. What, what do you think that was? Uh, I think, well, there are, I think a lot of different factors. Uh, training costs increased dramatically. Back when I learned to fly, you could rent a 152 for $38 an hour. Now, let's change that to a 172 because... There's not a lot of 152s in existence anymore, at least in the United States. There's some, but not, they're not heavily used for training aircraft. Mm-hmm. A 172 is $50 an hour. Now a 172 is 100, almost $150 an hour to rent 
and then the instructor fee has gone up. So flight training costs have increased dramatically. So now to go from zero hours to getting enough hours to get your uh, CFI and then ATP, it costs about $100,000 in just flight training costs alone. So that's a huge investment that a lot of people, that would make a lot of people nervous borrowing that much money for a, a career to go get a job in that may or may not be there when they get there. So there's that risk or that, um, that factor is just the training cost. But also another uh, contributing factor, there's less pilots coming out of the military where yes. 20, 30 years ago, a lot of pilots came out of the military, went straight to the airlines. But the pilot shortage that's happening right now isn't just the airlines. The U.S. military doesn't have enough pilots no, nope. either. And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit here as well. Um, as you know, I'm from Canada. And just a quick fact here so that, you know, maybe people can compare, um, you know, the size of Canada versus U.S. and that kind of thing. Canada only has 38 million people compared to your 321 million people, Tim. So it's, I mean, we have a very different uh, airline system in Canada. We... It was originally structured so that if you were going to operate as an airline, you needed to serve all of Canada. So you had to reach, um, you know, east to west, and you had to go all the way up to the Arctic as well. So it costs a lot of money to operate airlines in Canada. And then what happened was, is the ultra low cost carrier model came into Canada, and there's many different people jumped on that boat, thought it was awesome, but it drove the wages down and down and down to the point where this is something that's probably always existed maybe even in the united states is that a pilot coming out of flight school who has a big big debt load behind them isn't going to make a lot of money and the airlines know that and they they leverage it and they pay very little the first or second year knowing that you want that job so bad and you're willing to do anything to get it that you're going to just take the cash the low cash yeah, is that and, similar to what you experience? Um, not now, but back twenty years ago, that was that was the case. There were, well, I know when I I interviewed at an airline in two thousand and four, and a question was asked to me uh, by a family member: If you get that job, how are you going to survive on that salary? Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's I, I don't care. Incredible. I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna be flying a jet. I don't care. Yeah, but it does matter. But I mean, back then, that starting pay would have been eighteen to twenty-one thousand um, dollars in two thousand and four. That's not that. That's not a lot. No, it would have no. been hard to live on that. But now, where a guy can or girl can go to train, go to uh, flight school, and come out making close to a hundred or over a hundred thousand a year, it's a different picture. The difference is the training costs are vastly different. But when you look at it, the training costs based on the first year pay mm -hmm. right now it costs about a hundred thousand dollars to get your flight ratings first year pay about a hundred thousand uh, dollars back then uh, it cost thirty thousand dollars for me to get my ratings and back then the starting pay was about twenty thousand so basically what it costs to train right now and in the past it equates to that's what it's going to cost or what you're going to make the first year it's very close right so in and considering the scale of the cost versus salary the first year, it's about the same. It's very interesting. 
I, I, I don't think I've actually noted that. Um, in Canada, I mean, this is... <laughs> We, we joke around, Tim and I, about this all the time is that, uh, you know, uh, the, the U.S. to Canadian dollar figure, but 70000 to 80000 is is the current cost approximately to train to a commercial pilot level. And in where I live, you could get about 45000 of that student funded. So you could get a little bit of that money. Obviously, you have to pay that back. But... You still are faced with having a student loan, um, you know, struggling. Some some students have to come from, you know, different parts of Canada to a training location. They have the cost of living, um, their housing, all of those kind of things to factor in. And then the way it used to be is you would go through all of that, Tim, and you'd be a dock worker throwing bags or, you know, working on the ramp. Um, working for the airline that you want to work for, uh, but you're not a pilot, you have to do, um, you know, the junky jobs in order to show that you're a loyal person. Uh, you're going to work for the company for, for doing very little and, and not flying. That was the standard that that's what happened for many, many, many years. And I'm sure you've heard of that in the U S as well. Yeah, I have. And another thing I just thought of that's also possibly going to be an issue is rising interest rates. Interest rates keep going up and interest yeah. on loans are going to go up. And it's not just, it's not just the, the people learning to fly that's going to suffer from that. It's also going to be the flight schools who acquire new airplanes and get loans for the airplanes. They're going to have to charge more to pay all that stuff. Yeah. And that's going to get passed on to the consumer or the, the student. And I think that'll push training costs even higher and maybe less people will learn to fly. I mean, that, that might be a small overall change, but it's still going to be uh, a contributing factor to maybe possible further pilot shortages in the future. There's a lot of information about, I mean, all you need to do is Google pilot shortage and you're going to get, you know, tons of information, tons of articles. One of them I'm looking at right now uh, on a large uh, career center website, which is used by the world basically, but the one that's focusing on Canada is saying that we have a shortage of 3,000 pilots and 55,000 workers overall in the aviation industry by 2025. So we're not we're not that far from that. Um, one of the like we haven't really talked about other things other than pilots. So there's a pilot shortage. It's been looming for a long, long time. I would, I would dare say, you know, after 9-11, a lot of things changed. And, you know, airlines that were existing no longer existed. People got furloughed. I was going to mention the word furlough because I didn't really know what that meant um, myself. Would you have like just a, a, a rough and dirty, what, what does furlough mean? Temporary layoff. So if you're furloughed, and you're still working for XYZ airline, are you getting paid? Usually not. So that's what I understand as well. I understand that you may keep your benefits, so you, you still might have your health care and that kind of thing. So typically, while a pilot's being furloughed, and I, and I have a personal experience with this, with a friend here in Canada, was working for our largest airline, was furloughed, uh, flying the Boeing 767, which we had quite a few of, and the cargo companies at the time 
<laughs> you can imagine. So if we got, we'll, we'll talk about the big C word here in a minute. Um, you know, the one that scared everybody in the last three years here. But um, when that happened, everybody's at home ordering Amazon and everything else. The cargo business went insane. Went I would dare say it's still doing the same thing, Tim. So those furloughed pilots went to go fly cargo. You know, they didn't really take that much of a hit because, well, I mean, dollar-wise they did, but they didn't lose their job. They were furloughed, maintaining their their um, their benefits from the main airline, but were flying very, very busily uh, on cargo. But now, um, during the COVID times, in the last three years, there was a lot of, air. you know, if you think about it, actually what happened at that time is the the max i believe just was coming back in that so i'm talking about the 737 max and then all of a sudden covid hits everybody's parking their aircraft you, you look around all around the united states wherever i was flying you know i would see parked aircraft they'd be tons of them parked yeah when that happened we were from a pilot shortage and there was one uh, Facebook group that I belong to, and it's, it's nothing but corporate aviation jobs. It went from here's a job, there's a job, they're everywhere to I lost my job, oh, I lost mine too, me too. And they had to tell people, stop, we're going to make another site for you guys looking for jobs because so many people had lost their jobs. It's the other, the other thing too is they lost their jobs. They they were furloughed or lost their jobs. A lot of people just, I mean, when I see people, very senior pilots picked up and left the industry. They're like, we're out of here, we're done. So that's created a huge gap at the top. And so now you have these senior, senior positions, maybe check airmen and go ahead there, Tim. Oh, I was going to say, and another thing that did it there was that, there were some people that just went ahead and retired. But then also the vaccine mandate came out and there are some pilots that said, you're not going to force me to take that. I'm just going to go ahead and retire and be done. And yes. that created even more of a, vo of a void. Absolutely. Um, you know, in, in Canada, um, a lot of pilots were forced to take the, the vaccine mandate. And, uh, you know, you simply would not have a job. And whether that's fair, we won't get into that. But, I mean, that was a very, very tough thing to to take and a lot of people said forget it i'm not doing that and believe it or not they left the industry and probably faced you know some pretty big hardships doing that right and hopefully that's one thing in aviation that i tell people when you're a pilot save money like there's no tomorrow get yourselves out of debt save as much money as you can because you never know when your job's going to end because of economic reasons they just shut down or medical reasons always have a a, a nest egg built yeah. up as quickly as possible because you just you just don't know what's going to happen next and it's it's i think that's more prevalent in aviation but any career yes yeah an emergency backup plan you know right. let, that's why i don't i don't know if it's the reason why but you know a lot of pilots have degrees they've and um you know they have some type of backup that they could go to whereas someone that has you know literally gone from high school into aviation they have no real backup plans you know mm -hmm. they're they they're they're in danger if something you know went sideways in the industry yeah, that's you know? exactly right 
But yeah. here's another thing, talking about this pilot shortage and standards changing. Two years ago, you probably could not find a major airline that would hire a pilot without a four-year degree. One airline dropped that requirement and made it go from required to preferred or recommended, and then everybody else did it. I don't think any major airline requires a four-year degree anymore. No, I agree. And I'm all for that because I know people that don't have four-year degrees that are absolutely fantastic pilots. And to think that they can't get a job even though they have a, like tens of thousands of hours of flight time and to think they can't work for an airline simply because they don't have a four-year degree, I don't like that. So I'm, I'm glad that part has changed. Yes. That, that changed for the better because there's a lot of very qualified people out there that may not have a four-year degree, but they're phenomenal pilots. Absolutely. And the other thing, you know, when I went back kind of around when you were trying to get into aviation as well, you needed 5,000 hours just to apply. And now for a major, for, for a major airline. So like a major airline in Canada, you needed 5,000 hours just to even walk in the door and they wanted a degree. So now it's gone to, uh, we would like you to have some type of post-secondary education. Um, the, it was interesting. I saw it go from like 2,000 hours required down to 1,500 hours. We're now at 1,000 hours to work for our main airline in Canada. Wow. And, and it's, I've seen lower, not, not with, with that particular airline. But just to give you an idea, Tim, like what they're expecting by 2025, which, I mean, that's only two years away, is that we will need, this is in Canada, 7,300 new pilots but only 1,200 pilots are graduating each year. So we have, we have a really, really big issue. So only 70% of graduating pilots go on to work in the industry, believe it or not. And I so, have a fact similar yeah. to that from the United States government. Uh, they, the United States government issues 6,500 pilot certificates per year. The article I read that from did not state if that was a private pilot, instrument, commercial, because you could have one person get four certificates in a year. So I'm not sure if that's individual or if that is commercial pilot certificates. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But just using that number, 6,500 pilot certificates per year, but the U.S. government projects a shortfall of 18,000 pilots over the... uh, 18,000 pilots every year over the next decade. That's incredible. So 6,500. So basically they're getting, what, uh, one-third of what they need. Wow. And they're saying, you know, I mean, again, keep in mind, 38 million people in Canada, 321 million people in the United States. Um, You know, there's a similar situation. There's a critical shortage of 3,000 pilots by 2025, just in Canada. We also passed something very, very recently in Canada called the fatigue pilot rules, which created a further... Um, a shortage in Canada because we have these fatigue management rules that we have to follow, which are very complex. Airlines have a, a special matrix that they have to follow. So if a pilot is, is flying a certain amount of hours prior to flight, if they're in a uh, different time zone, then you know there's different rules that have to be applied to them. That creates a further shortage, and if People have flown recently. They may have 
you know, got to the gate and realized that, you know, the crew isn't there for the flight and they'll say crew duty. They'll, they'll use that word crew duty. And I'm sure you've heard that before, Tim. Yes. Um, that's the reason that you're not going is because the pilots have timed out. Could you actually, could you just explain what I mean by timed out? Yeah, they'll have a duty day of so many hours they're allowed to fly. And if they don't leave by a certain time out of the gate, they're going to go over that time on that flight, which would be breaking the rules. So they can't, can't even leave. So with that, what basically this curveball that I'm talking about here is that a flight crew can work 112 hours over 28 consecutive days. 300 hours over 90 days and a thousand hours over 365. So these duty days or these duty times have been reduced slightly and basically um, have tightened the ability for the airlines to operate flights the way they used to. Now in Canada, according to the information that I have, we're still not up to operating levels of say three years ago. We were still we just can't do that. But we have these referred to as snowbirds because we live in a country where three months of the year, it's very, very cold. We're talking, you know, in Celsius terms here, a sustained, you know, minus 10 to minus 30, minus 40, that kind of thing throughout that three months. Very, very cold. In other words, Canadians want to get the heck out of where they live and go a vacation in the United States. Those are called snowbirds. And some so the people southern actually, United States. Yeah, it's southern, definitely not into Montana. No, or North Dakota. <laughs> or North I Dakota. I don't know many people that want to go to North Dakota in January. Or Buffalo, New York. Yes. Um, they, you know, they, they definitely... They like snow. Unless they... Well, you, maybe they, they really didn't get enough snow where they are and they want to go tobogganing or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, the, but they definitely want to hit the beaches. That, that's the plan. But there's such a demand for that right now is these ultra low cost carriers that come out of the woodwork in Canada at right now during this during this whole busy, busy season. And now we have even more airlines competing for the reduced amount of pilots that are, that are available, creating a more dire situation in the pilot uh, shortage situation. So I know you have similar situations happening in the U.S., um, one of your major, major airlines had, uh, you know, parked a bunch of airplanes recently and it's just, people are frustrated. They can't go where they want to go. They, they want to, they want a vacation. They've been deadlocked in their, in their home for three years mm -hmm. and they want to get the heck out. And a lot of people they, are starting to drive more. Yeah. The, the, oh yeah. The distance people were willing to drive has increased because why go fly on the airlines when your flight may not even go. You can't even get to where you need to be. You just jump in a car and drive. Yes. And here's the other thing that we haven't really talked about. So we have these Canadian pilots, you know, we fly, you know, generally, I want to say harsh conditions, but we fly in, you know, snowy, rough conditions for the three months of the year. A lot of the airline pilots that we have in Canada fly back and forth to the U.S. all the time. There is a huge demand looming and it's, it's happening right now for Canadian pilots to leave Canada and to come to the United States, obtaining a green card, paying a fee, going through that process. But there's such a differential in wages 
between certainly, um, you know, the corporate side where I work, the airline side, and certainly the cargo side. The cargo side is insane. It is. I could, I could leave here my, you know, my beautiful um, Arctic tundra and come down to work in, you know, somewhere like California and the beaches in sight and go work on a 747, the plane to my dreams and make huge cash, Tim. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's very it's- possible. You can make huge cash later on. I mean, the first year paid at the cargo companies, it's, it's not, it's good, but it's not great. Like the, the large cargo companies first year pays about 60 grand. Second year, I think is closer to 150 to 180. Okay. So we compare, um, one of the things they talk about all the time is an hourly rate. So I'm just going to go with, um, this is just a sampling from a Canadian company. If I made as a brand new first officer coming out of this out of flight school, and let's just assume I'm I have fifteen hundred hours just just for the sake of it. Commercial multi IFR ATPL, I'm gonna start at fifty six dollars an hour starting. How much money is that? Uh and we're talking Canadian? Well, it doesn't it's, matter if it's Canadian or US. No. We could even just say it's, you know. Uh, a dollar figure if it's 56 dollars an hour how how much am i going to be making in the year like do i work is that based on x amount of hours per month yeah they usually do it based on hours and i think it's it varies from airline to airline some of it's block to block gate to gate um but normally there's a monthly guarantee anywhere from 65 to 75 hours a month but that would equate to about 50 about fifty thousand dollars a year Okay. So I'm, I have already spent, you know, 70 to a hundred thousand dollars of my, uh, precious Canadian cash. And now I'm going to make $50,000 a year from my first starting, uh, job. Um, again, this is, you know, a major airline in Canada. Um, I'm still, I'm still behind what you were talking about before you, you, you were, we were kind of comparing training cost versus how much you're going to be compensated i'm still below that would you agree yes okay so the average though is 157 dollars an hour so what i'm trying to get at is the first year the second year maybe you're still behind the eight ball you're you're gonna to have to make a pretty big decision whereas in the united states we, we, we you know we've we've done some looking and and we compared um canadian operators so a first officer coming out of a flight school with assuming 1500 hours and that's something i should maybe quickly just say because of the colgan air crash in the united states the q400 that iced up in buffalo and and had its tragic um crash there was rules that were put in place that no pilot can have less than 1500 hours and a certain amount of training to sit in the right seat of an airline is that correct tim yes so in Canada, there are, believe- some that can, there are some that can do less. If you go through an approved part 141 program, I believe some of them can get down to a thousand hours with a restricted ATP and some others are 1200. But if you're, if you do your training at a part 61 school and go through, you need 1500 hours. So if you do the 141 program, you can do less, but for the most part, generally 1500 hours is the limit. 
So we don't really have that rule in Canada, believe it or not. Um, so there's no real set uh, um, amount of hours, except there's a certain amount of hours that are required to write something called an IATRA exam here. And basically that is kind of like um, a, a reduced version of your ATPL exams, kind of combined a, a bunch of questions just to make sure that you know enough to sit in a highly complex aircraft. And then the airline will decide what the minimum amount of hours are. So there's there's kind of a, a difference there. But just, just so you're aware, you do not have to have 1,500 hours to sit in the right seat of an airline in Canada, but you do have to have a certain amount of qualifications, and the airlines will set that. So I just ran some numbers. A regional airline, average regional airline in the United States, first year pay... Uh, and this one is $90 an hour for a first officer. Monthly guarantee is 75 hours a month. $81,900. Converting that to Canadian is $109,000. $109, and that's, ser that's serious money. Yeah. You can live on that. And, and granted, when, when we started flying $100,000 20 years ago, that was a lot of money. Now that it's still would, a decent amount of money. Oh yeah. But it's not what it was. I remember in when I started looking for after I had been flying charters for a couple of years and was looking at serious professional flying jobs, I would look at aviation uh websites with aviation pay scales on them. And the major airlines, there were some that were paying two hundred and forty nine thousand dollars a year. I remember that number thinking, man, that's insane. You can make a quarter of a million dollars a year flying an airplane. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Like that's just unheard of. But now the same pay scales, if you I was just looking at some prior to recording this, they top out at around three hundred thousand dollars. It's not a huge increase, still an increase, but with inflation it's probably less. But that's also a minimum. You can work more hours than that and make even more. I believe last year there were eight airline pilots in the United States with overtime. They made over a million dollars. Wow. But only eight of them. And who knows what their quality of life was like working that much. Yeah, who knows? It's, uh, I mean, you can work yourself, you know, pretty ragged in this industry. But, you know, the average pilot coming in that Or the is, industry will work you ragged. Yeah, yeah, I should say that. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, another, another fact that we really haven't talked about too much is that there's a pilot shortage, but there's also mechanics that are short, mm -hmm. um, which if there's no mechanics, there's no flying folks. It's just all labor. Exactly. All, 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 a whole labor shortage. Everything from painters to people that groom the aircraft. People um, that make parts for the aircraft. Parts. <laughs> Yeah, that work in factories that build, you know, yeah. things like windshields and that kind of thing. And we won't um, get into that story. We both no, have experiences no, no, in that. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of, there's a lot of issues there. We'll, we'll just say that. Um, one of the things that uh, I found very interesting in, 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 you know, getting ready for this uh, podcast was our military in Canada, the RCAF, the Royal Canadian Air Force, is actually looking overseas to fill pilot shortages as commercial aviators stay away from the Canadian Wait, military. Say that again. The, mili the military is looking for overseas pilots? Our Air Force in Canada, the Royal Canadian Air Force, is looking overseas 
to fill pilot shortages wow. as the regular pilot pool in Canada just is with restrictions just, of course i'm sur- sure they would gladly take an applicant from great britain but maybe not an applicant from iran i <laughs> for sure yeah uh <laughs> we won't get into that but uh there <laughs> for sure i just went there <laughs> yes the the yes you did um the air force is supposed to have 1500 pilots a year come in we only have 225 at the end. This is December 19 numbers. Wow. So the air, the air, this, and we're talking very dramatic things happening. Now we do, um, we have some pretty, you know, older aircraft in our fleet right now. We have CF-18 Hornets, which have been around, believe it or not, since 1983, I think, around there. We've had the same aircraft. We've just ordered um, a bunch of F-35s, which is really really exciting and i think that you know with with uh, that order and the fact that there's a lot of excitement about things like movies of you know the top gun and that kind of thing um believe it or not our air force was one of the first people to see in canada um top gun top gun maverick um that you know to, they wanted to just you know bring that to the air force first but um very interesting facts that you know, our Air Force in Canada is actually having to look, you know, overseas for its pilots because we just cannot get them locally. Yeah, now, that's interesting. I wonder if that's a, and and who knows that may have happened in the past, World War Two. But I mean, who wasn't involved in World well, War Two? Yeah. I mean, there, there. I mean, there are stories of Canadian pilots that went to the United States to to fight, um, for, you know, because it was their choice to go and fight for, you know, specific wars. Um, there's there's U.S. Um, you know, citizens that came, vice versa. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure that's a pretty common thing during wartime. But yeah, but we're talking and so, about in peacetime now. You just you don't hear about it that often. No, that's, you just you just don't. Yeah. No. So what do you think on the pilot shortage? The outlook of the pilot shortage? I have my ideas, but where do you think it's going to be in five years or ten years? It's interesting because you and I talk a lot about interest rates and, um, you know, the, that's going to drive a lot of decisions of, you know, people are going to stay home, not fly as much. Um, I don't. I know we've definitely seen that in Canada uh, in this year. You know, there's been <laughs> during COVID the most frustrating events happened for people um, at some of our largest airports in Canada. Lost baggage, flights canceled, on and on and on. But all of that aside, you know, we don't have this large pool of pilots coming in to to fill the seats. So that's that's going to be an ongoing issue for many many years in this country. There needs to be a change in the way airlines recruit. Um, you know, maybe they could consider doing like a cadet type program, um, that kind of thing. Is There's that- a lot of airlines doing that now. There, um, I can't remember. I think there are at least two major airlines that are starting or have their own flight schools where they put everybody through and then they get flow through to. To that airline, yes, and, and I just, believe just that, and that was the last pilots. couple of years were was introduced by one of your major airlines, um, like a cadet program, the flow through, the whole idea. The other thing that's really interesting, Tim, is that the idea of the hub and spoke model 
in the United States where you've got all these little regional airlines pumping in passengers into these major terminals. That appears to be going away. It, there's signs of it anyways. And the weird thing is, is that you've got these regional carriers that we've been talking about flying stuff like CRJs, um, Embraer jets, that kind of thing. They're making as you know very close to the wages as the main carriers are so that's that's causing a more in some uh, cases a really more for the first few years so it is because if you're a regional airline pilot like a direct entry captain that goes to another regional airline you get a hundred thousand dollar signing bonus plus your hundred and six thousand or hundred and ten thousand dollar salary you're making over 200 it so somebody like that, it might be kind of difficult to think, I'm going to go to the majors, I'm going to wait a couple years, or wait one year and then go. But then even after that bonus is expired, once you get it, yes, they have retention bonuses. So you, get, you can get a $100,000 bonus to be a direct entry captain to another regional, and then once you're there, they'll pay you more money just, just to stay after your first year. And some yeah. of those bonuses are fifty grand. I think thirty or twenty-five or thirty thousand for uh, first officer retention bonuses at some airlines, and then I think another fifty or fifty for a captain to stay. So we're definitely not seeing that in Canada, and like as I mentioned, or in corporate aviation, or in corporate, oh, definitely not in corporate aviation. I mean, there's been some significant wage adjustments in Canada with corporate aviation. Um, very recently because there's been a lot of poaching and what I mean is you know one company will have a, a pilot and he sees you know a better opportunity at another location uh, maybe maybe it's location maybe it's money it's definitely money um, and then they they leave and they leave a hole and that's that you know that's kind of a fact that hole never right gets now. filled up no, it doesn't get filled up, and then it makes the pilots that are currently in that position work harder and harder and harder. And then they, they get leave. frustrated. Then they leave. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's creating, I think, to answer your question, Tim, we're going to be in this tight, um, you know, race to to get pilots in to seats uh, in this in the next five years. I'd say, mm -hmm. like, really, really, you know, trying really, really hard. But there's only going to be so much, specifically in Canada, if if the costs, which are again around seventy to hundred thousand dollars to get to become a pilot, and if you're only getting, you know, fifty to sixty thousand dollars, you know, to start, why would someone choose to become a pilot in you and know take when on that much debt? That yeah, much it's debt. It, it's a huge debt load. But there's even you, that in regular education or uh, any other job. Like just a four-year college degree is very expensive. And yes. it's just gone crazy in the last 10 years. In the last few years, it's really gotten out of hand. But um, any job, like just going into any job, you might spend 80 grand or 100 grand for an education. In your first year, you're going to make 50. I mean, it's kind of the same everywhere, but um, it's, it's hard to say what's going to happen with aviation. I looked at some numbers prior to recording. Mm -hmm. And on average, the legacy airline, so when I say legacy airline, American, United, Delta, the big ones that have been around, around for yes. a long time. Over the next three years, all of them have an average of 1,500 mandatory pilot retirements. Okay. 
over the next three years. So basically 500 pilots per year are going to be retiring. Right. It peaks, I think, in 2025. The numbers go up even more. So I think we're going to have hiring for sure, at least through the next five years, where it's going to be where it is now. Uh, the difference is, or not the difference, but something that could occur. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to happen economically. If there's a worldwide recession, that can put aviation on its back in a hurry. Oh, yeah. Um, when COVID hit, nobody expected that. That came out of the blue. Um, just even in the past, aviation was a lot harder to get into. It was a little bit cheaper, but you had to have a lot more hours to get a flying job. That's all changed now. So the economy or the, not the economy, but the, um, requirements to get a a job have changed dramatically because of the shortage. If you would have told me 15 years ago that you could go to the airlines at 1500 hours, I would have thought you were nuts. You, well, if Steve would have. If somebody would have asked me that three years ago, I would have said, you're nuts. You can't, you can't get a job with that low of time, low amount of time, but you absolutely can. So I think uh, economic no, I, reasons could throw a wrench into it. If there is a world, worldwide recession, I think there will mm-hmm. still be some hiring, but maybe not at the rates we see today. There could, it could get worse. There could be layoffs. Who saw 2008 coming? Some people right. did. Michael exactly. Murray did. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, for the most part, that happened quick. And even where I'm at, I've worked through that. I've been fortunate to be at a job, the same job for 18 years. And I know three people that got laid off and just where I work. And there were others, tons of other places where, and at that time, hiring was picking up. And a lot of people were being hired for flying jobs. Then the economic downturn happened in 2008, and it went from an, a hiring boom to an instant layoff boom. Yes. Overnight. Not overnight, but within a couple months. But it it can change very, very rapidly. And I think that's something that's always needs to be, always a person needs to keep that in the back of their mind, but also don't live your life based on fear. If flying something that you really want to do, go do it. But always have a backup plan. Absolutely. I, th- I agree 100% with everything you've said. Um, it's you know we none of us have a crystal ball but we know that we are in a pilot shortage right now and i've had you know i've had the wonderful opportunity to work at a local flying school and seeing you know pilots have gone in uh brand new to the aviation world come out commercial multi-ifr pilots and every single one of them got jobs uh as soon as they left and that's really, really exciting. And I, and I see that continuing for, you know, a number of years. And I've, I've said to people, this is the pilot shortage that we've been talking about forever. It's happening right now. So if you are interested in becoming a pilot, I, this is my opinion that this is it. This is, this is your time. I don't know how long this window is going to last for. They generally don't last for a long, long time, but you know, I think five years is reasonable. 10 years. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of, um, talk about what's going to happen if this pilot shortage continues Would airlines down the road, consider, you know, going to a single pilot pilotless aircraft. That's maybe for another talk, but because of the shortage that the airlines are seeing they're talking about that kind of stuff and that's Mm -hmm. and that's something i've never heard of 
before. And I think that's something that could happen, but the airplanes have to be simplified. When you look at the size of the cockpits, all the circuit breakers and switches, even with the airplanes we fly, there's no way you can fly that airplane by yourself because you can't reach everything. For right. one, physically, you cannot do it. So there's that. It's going to take a totally different design of airplane, I think, to go single pilot. And when you look at the business jets that are single pilot, they're very simplified. Uh, they're um, heavily automated. Screens are touchscreen. Everything's easy to get to. And they're just, they're easier to fly. And they're not really fast either. Right. So I think that's, that, that could happen. But I think it's going to take a different kind of airplane, that, or not a different kind, but a different design of a airplane cockpit that we just, we don't have yet. The technology is yeah. there. It's just not, it doesn't exist physically. I think it's like you say, things are becoming very automated. When I left flight school, um, things were still what we call steam gauges back then. Oh, I and miss steam gauges. Yeah, I mean, it was steam gauges. And then we went to, you know, all glass cockpit Cessna 172s. And, and believe it or not, um, at the time, people thought we were crazy. They were like, well, why would you want all glass? Like, you know, that doesn't make any sense that you're the, the, the people that you're training right now are going to go into a Navajo or something like that with steam gauges or, you know, Cessna 421 or whatever it may be. And, you know, there might've been some truth to that back then, but now um, everybody who leaves a flight school and is going to go to an airline, they're in a glass cockpit immediately. Well, I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine and I'll throw this in here before we run out of time. He is a simulator instructor for a regional airline. So if somebody enjoys this hiring boom or this uh, pilot shortage slash hiring boom and goes and gets a job, he's the guy you're going to deal with at your your first job and being in the simulator. Um, He told me, I asked him, I said, what are some of the common errors that you see among new pilots coming through training? And he said, pilots come, pilots coming from TAA or technologically advanced aircraft. So glass cockpits and high levels of automation have a very poor scan. Said so he has seen people do steep turns and lose plus or, or lose 800 feet or gain 800 feet of wow. altitude during the steep turn. That's wow. a lot because their scan is so bad from being able to just look in one place and get all the information they need mm-hmm. from a glass panel. Um, the other thing is the lack of speed control. They do a poor job at controlling the speed of the airplane. They're just not used to something that can go that fast mm-hmm. and operate on such a large regime of, of speed from anywhere from 330, 350 knots all the way back down to 140 knots. So there's a, a large uh, speed regime there. And he said the other thing is just an over-reliance on automation because they're so used to it. They can't, when the automation goes away, they don't do a good job of flying the airplane. Yeah, you got to have those basic, you know, hand and feet skills, solid, solid, solid before you move into a, a flight deck of anything of uh, significance, for sure. Yeah, and my advice on that is hand fly the airplane as much as possible. I'm not saying hand fly the 172, but still hand fly. Always be proficient at hand flying an airplane no matter what you're flying. Right. But also even during training, I mean, the training programs are very regimented, but... If you can hand fly the airplane, hand fly the airplane. But at the same time, know how to work the autopilot, but you're going to learn that too. But uh, hand flying is a great skill because when all heck breaks loose or you have an electrical issue, 
you can still hand fly the airplane. Absolutely. I understand that we might have the opportunity to speak to that gentleman who works in that uh, in that field, hopefully soon. Yes, I'd like to get him on. Uh, I have talked to him, and that's uh, something I would like to do in the near future. And hopefully that's a podcast that pilots that are thinking about going to the airlines or have applied or hired, they can listen to that and get some tips on uh, common errors and how to improve and what not to do. Yes. Well, Tim, uh, it's been great talking to you once again. I just want to remind everybody that you can reach us on SpeakPipe through the links that are provided. And um, if you would also like to listen to our you know, limited catalog from um, previous episodes, please check that out. We've had some incredible guests on here, and we have a lot more incredible guests coming very, very soon. Is there a website of yours they can visit if they like? Yes, there is foxtrotalphaaviation.ca. I'm also on TikTok, and I also have a YouTube channel. And now ask me if there's any website that I can tell people about. Well, <laughs> Tim, do you have a website? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Wonderful. The, tell us all about it. Thecorporatepilotdad.com. And on the bottom of that website, I do have a blog. Just one. I just started it. And it talks about can... At-home flight simulation, supplement, flight training, or your actual, if you've already got a license, can it supplement um, actually flying an oral airplane, keeping your skills sharp? So I talk a little bit about that. But I'm also on YouTube and TikTok. I think I have an Instagram account. I just don't use it a whole lot. And that's pretty much it. And also, um, you know, th this, uh, if, if you feel that this is something that you want to support through our podcast, our YouTube channels, TikTok, that kind of thing, both Tim and I would love for you to buy us a coffee um, or support us some other way through our various links that we have. And that concludes this episode of the Corporate Pilot Guys podcast. Thank you very much for listening.